0: Welcome to WaveScan, the international DX program from Adventist World Radio. Researched and written in Indiana by Dr. Adrian Peterson and produced in the studios of WRMI Shortwave in Okeechobee, Florida, USA. Hi, everyone. I'm Jeff White at WRMI in Okeechobee, Florida, and this is Wavescan edition NWS 706 for release on Sunday, September fourth, two 2022. Our editor is Adrian Peterson. On Wavescan today, the radio scene at the end of the highway... Recordings from the NASB meeting in Washington and our Japan DX report. But let's start with the radio scene at the end of the highway. The July 2022 issue of the Australian DX News presents an interesting story about plans for an amateur DX expedition to the Grassy Hill Lighthouse overlooking the small northern town of Cooktown at the end of the highway. In far northern Queensland, Australia. This readable feature article reminds us that there have been three different eras associated with the radio scene in Cooktown, and that is our opening topic in this edition of the weekly DX program, WaveScan. Here's Ray Robinson.
1: Thanks, Jeff. Actually, the Cooktown locality featured quite prominently in the very early history of Australia, some 18 years before even the first European settlement at what is now Sydney Harbour in 1788. It was on June 17th 1770 that Captain James Cook, together with his 86 crewmen aboard the damaged ship the HMS Endeavour, landed and went ashore at what is now Cooktown, the most northerly town on the east coast of Australia the endeavour was damaged and it sprang a leak while passing over the shallow coral formations of what is now known as the Great Barrier Reef. The ship was repaired during the 48 days that the English Exploration Party remained ashore, and that was the first European settlement on the continent of Australia, though it was only temporary in duration. Cooktown, so named in honour of Captain Cook's exploratory visit, lies a 100 miles north of Cairns, and during its gold rush days, one and a half centuries ago, it registered a population of 18,000 residents. These days, the population figure in this mostly abandoned old town stands at around 300, though the locals tell us that the number of residents has begun to increase in recent times. The local historians tell us that the first mango trees in Australia were planted at Cooktown, and Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II made a state visit there in 1970 by ship. The highway from the south was paved just before the turn of the century, though the roadway north from Cooktown is simply a dirt track navigable only by a four-wheel drive vehicle. It was back in the year 1911 that officials from the Royal Navy declared that there was a need for a wireless station at Cooktown as a communication intermediary between the island of New Guinea and the populated Australian cities further south. Two years later, on June 12th, 1913, the planned new wireless station at Cooktown was taken into regular service. The Cooktown wireless station was installed in two brick and cement buildings constructed on a ridge just below the lighthouse on Grassy Hill. The station was constructed by the Father Shore Wireless Company using the Bowsilli wireless system, though it was soon afterwards taken over and absorbed into the AWA coastal wireless network. A 200-foot tall solid wooden mast was erected, with supporting guy wires holding it in position. The spark transmitter was rated at 5 kilowatts, and the lone receiver was simply a complicated commercial crystal set. The appropriate AWA call sign for this long-wave wireless relay station was VIC, with the C indicating Cooktown. By the time World War I began in August 1914, there were 19 AWA coastal stations on the air in Australia and neighbouring Pacific Islands – though five of these stations were ranged along the Pacific coast of Queensland. And by 1922, there were 27 of these AWA coastal stations in Australia and the Pacific in regular communication usage. During World War II, the Royal Australian Air Force installed a radar station on Grassy Hill, and it was protected against possible Japanese overflights by a disguise that gave it the appearance of a regular family residence. The radar facility was closed in 1945 after the end of the war, and the coastal station VIC was closed four years later again in 1949. It was no longer needed as an intermediary relay station for wireless communication between New Guinea and the rest of the Australian mainland. The wooden mast was subsequently destroyed by fire, and the two solid buildings now form part of a residence for a local family. Beginning in 1959, the local residents began what has since become an annual event, a traditional festival for locals and visitors alike, honouring in Cooktown the visit of Captain Cook some two centuries earlier. The local Aborigines, descendants of those who met the English visitors so long ago, also participate each mid-year in the commemorative events. And that brings us to the second radio era in Cooktown. Soon after the annual Cooktown anniversary festivals became an annual feature, the staff at the medium wave radio broadcasting station 4CA in Cairns constructed a small 10 watt medium wave broadcasting transmitter. The transmitter was installed in a local store in Cooktown, and the antenna was a simple 60 foot long wire that ran up a nearby electrical pole. This special event, and we might add informal venture, was on the air each year for the anniversary festival, with current announcements and information for the general public. During the events of one particular year, the local schoolchildren were invited to operate the small and temporary medium-wave broadcasting station. In more recent years, there's now a third radio era for the Cooktown area, with several downlinked AM and FM stations. The available information tells us that there have been two such medium wave stations, 4AY at AIR on 1611 kHz and also 4CA at Cairns at one stage. A total of six FM downlink stations are currently shown with the ABC on 105.7 MHz with Far North programming and 107.3 MHz with Radio National programming there are also four commercial network stations. The downlink slave transmitters are all quite low-powered, in the range of approximately 50 watts each. And to this day, there is still no paved road running further north from Cooktown. Back to you, Jeff.
0: Thank you, Ray Robinson at KVOH in Los Angeles. During the past weeks, we've been talking with Jerry Plummer of WWCR and Glenn Tapley of WEWN, about the 2022 annual meeting of the National Association of Shortwave Broadcasters, NASB, that took place in Washington, D.C., in July. Today we're beginning some actual recordings from that meeting, which will be interrupted in the coming weeks by some coverage of the HFCC Shortwave Coordination Conference in Bulgaria that took place in August. We were at both events. Right now, let's go to the opening session of the NASB annual meeting, which took place at Radio Free Asia headquarters in Washington. A.J. Yanichek, RFA Director of Program and Operations Support, introduced Bei Fang, RFA President.
2: Let's open up the NASB 2022. Welcome to everybody. Um, just for a brief bio of our president. As President, Bei Fang provides RFA with leadership, vision, and mission-based strategic and operational direction. She first came to RFA as managing director for East Asia, overseeing the management and editorial content of RFA's five East Asian language services. She went on to become RFA's executive editor, supervising coverage across all of Asia. Now she began her 20-year career in journalism as the Beijing bureau chief for the US News and World Report, where she won the Robert F. Kennedy Journalism Award for her story, China's Stolen Wives. She went on to cover the wars in Afghanistan and Iraq for U.S. News and then became the diplomatic correspondent for the Chicago Tribune. Before coming to Radio Free Asia, she also served as a deputy assistant secretary of state, overseeing public diplomacy and public affairs for Europe and Eurasia. Fang earned her undergraduate degree at Harvard University and was a visiting fellow at Oxford University and a Fulbright Scholar in Hong Kong. She's a trained French chef at Le Cordon Bleu in Paris. No, she's not making dinner. And also holds a brown belt in Kung Fu. Ladies and gentlemen, the president of RFA, Beifeng.
3: Thank you so much, A.J., and, uh, and everyone, welcome to RFA. It's really a pleasure to have you all here with us. We're uh, huge fans of the National Association of Shortwave Broadcasters, and it's really an honor to be hosting you here this year. Um, shortwave radio has played an integral role for RFA from our very beginning. It was almost exactly 25 years ago that RFA's very first broadcast was heard by listeners in China via shortwave. Today, eight of our nine language services still use the medium as a way for audiences to connect with RFA's incisive brand of journalism. Shortwave is especially important for reaching audiences in some of the world's most closed media environments like North Korea. And in places like Myanmar today, where huge swaths of the population are displaced amidst a crisis, shortwave continues to be a critical means to access our content. There is no doubt that since 1996, when RFA was launched, that the world has changed tremendously. Back then, the internet barely existed as we know and use it now. Facebook and social media were not around, nor were smartphones. We've grown up and changed as the world has around us. We utilize and invest in new formats and technologies to reach our audiences. But despite these advancements, we still find that we need shortwave, In Myanmar, which I just mentioned, the the military junta has imposed severe internet blackouts, power outages, and telecom restrictions. Mobile data rates there, by design, are unaffordable to most citizens. Shortwave helps us close that gap so the people of Myanmar can stay informed. In Cambodia, when RFA was forced to close our bureau there amid a government crackdown back in 2017... We also lost access to more than a dozen FM affiliates, which was a major way that we reached people. There too, shortwave became an important avenue, especially in rural and remote areas, for audiences to get RFA's updates and reports. No matter what, RFA will continue to adapt and evolve to meet the challenges of the 21st century. But we also know that shortwave remains indispensable to our work and our audience's ability to access uncensored domestic news and information especially during crises, where uh, those things are needed the most. Thank you so much, and again, welcome.
0: That was Bei Fang, president of Radio Free Asia, opening the NASB annual meeting in Washington. After the opening session, meeting participants were given a tour of Radio Free Asia's facilities then the first major presentation was made by dr kim andrew elliott former audience research officer at the voice of america and current producer of a program on private shortwave stations called shortwave radiogram
4: the three months ago or so when the when the the ukraine russia thing uh developed uh there was a lot of discussion about shortwave uh at that time and uh and if you go back to the video reports and the audio reports about shortwave back then, you know, the pundits and the experts would speak, but it was, if you go back and listen to the tapes, uh, they would, they would say things like, well, the BBC has had to resort to, uh, ha <laughs> shortwave. Or, uh, they'll say the, uh, the Russians now because of the, uh, blocking the internet are having to listen to ha <laughs> shortwave. And, uh, uh, or uh, exile Russian journalists are now renting uh, time on <laughs> shortwave transmitters. The, the experts and the pundits can't say shortwave with a straight face. Uh, but anyway, the um, because of uh, uh, what's been going on in Russia, they are are blocking the internet, and so uh, things are <laughs> blocked and. Russia, so they need to depend on shortwave. So that's kind of the reputation that that shortwave has. Um, so my, uh, this is about my radio program called Shortwave Radiogram. It's still on the air every week. Uh, the idea started right around 2011, 2012 when I was working at Voice of America. Uh, and, and two things happened back then. One is that I uh, discovered the digital modes in amateur radio, and I was just amazed. Back then, uh, PSK-31 was the popular mode among the radio amateurs. Now it's FT-8, and the, but it was uh, PSK-31, and I, I saw uh, it printing out text, and it was from a really, really narrow sliver of spectrum and a very, very weak signal, and I was just amazed that uh, that it was possible to transmit text in such uh, adverse conditions. Well, the other thing happening in 2011-2012 was that the uh, uh, BOA, who I worked for, was starting to be blocked more and more by more and more countries. Uh, certainly China uh, led the way with that, and um, Iran was, was jamming us, uh, was blocking um, our, our content more and more. And uh, other countries, even Ethiopia once in a while, would do it, and a few other countries threatening to do it, even Russia back then. So I was thinking, well, maybe we can use shortwave to at least get the text across the hostile borders, and then people within those countries can then pass on the information. I, at that point, called them key users. So that was the basic concept. Uh, uh, At that point, I never knew uh, if, if it would work to transmit digital modes from amateur radio on shortwave broadcast transmitters, but uh, uh, we, we did a program called VOA Radiogram from 2011 till uh, 2017 when I retired from VOA in it, and it turned out that it worked very well. Uh, now it's VOA Radiogram, and it's on Jeff's station and a little bit on WINB. For, uh, uh, although the vo- VOA Radiogram back then was four half hours all from the Greenville Transmitting Station, and we tried all the modes that the radio amateurs had, uh, the BPSKs and the QPSKs and the, the uh, Olivias and the Dominoes and the Thors, but we found out that MFSK 32 and 64 worked best in, in, in a shortwave broadcast situation. Um, uh, if the reception conditions were good, we could get a little faster with the MFSK 64. The other advantage with the MFSK modes... Uh, was that it can transmit pictures. The pictures come out looking quite a bit like a slow-scan TV. Now it's a shortwave radiogram. This is the one on Jess station, W-I-N-B a little bit. I get seven half-hour transmissions every weekend. It's transmitted on AM. Uh, There is one DRM transmission. And you can receive it on a radio using the AM mode or USB or LSB. The format of of shortwave radiogram is I I start the show with some music and a brief voice introduction. Then we do a a news item in MFSK32. And if reception's good, then then we do the other MFSK64. If if reception's not so good, then only the MFSK32 comes through, but at least one of the modes comes through. And several images. The listeners really enjoy that, uh, images. And then we occasionally experiment with other modes. Uh, You can receive it on on inexpensive portable radios. In fact, some of my listeners do listen on like $20, $30, very simple, small portable radios. Now, you can use a higher-end portable, and I mentioned that a line-out jack is is nice to have because you can listen to the tones. uh, A line-out jack does not mute the... Uh, res- uh, the speaker on your receiver, and you can set the volume for anything that you want. And so it's a line-out is very nice for getting the audio from your radio into the computer, which you need to, to, for the software to decode it. Uh, you can, of course, uh, tune in on a communications receiver, uh, an amateur transceiver. They all have um, general coverage receivers now. Or SDRs, uh, which are getting more and more popular. Or you can go to the internet and, uh, and get through to a remote SDR. Uh, decoding then. You gotta do that part too. Um, uh, the, uh, the one, the, the, the software that most listeners use is FLDigi from w one But there is the French multi-PSK. And then for, um, Android devices, there's a thing called T-VAR or uh, AND FL message. t is just basically the receive only. Uh, decode only version of AND FL message. Uh, of course, we're seeking simpler software solutions. Software now is designed for radio amateurs. We'd like something real simple for listeners to use. And of course, the ideal would be to, for the receiver and the decoder to be all together. Uh, and it shouldn't be that hard to do. MFSK, uh, is not that difficult to decode. Um, so that's, that would be the ideal for the future.
0: That was Kim Elliott of Shortwave Radiogram, speaking at the NASB 2022 annual meeting in Washington. We'll have more of Kim's talk in an upcoming edition of WaveScan. Now let's hear from Yukiko Tsuji in Tokyo with her DX report for September.
5: Hello and welcome to the DX Report of the Month from Japan Shortwave Club, aided by Toshio Otake and I'm Yukiko Tsuji. We have several DX reports from our club members this week. KBS World Radio from Republic of Korea was heard on 15575 kHz on August 6th from the sign-on at 01.55 to 02.10 UTC in Spanish. SIO rating was 454, then down to 353. Interval signal ID in Korean and Spanish were aired until the start of the program at zero two hundred, followed by news. Radio Taiwan International was heard on 11995 kHz on August 5th from 1714 to the sign-off at 1759 UTC in French. SIO rating was 353, then down to 252. It was a special French broadcast from Tamsui transmitter site in northern Taiwan. Station announcement was given by male announcer at 1745. The songs of Jaja, who was a Taiwanese singer and songwriter, were played between talks. Radio NUG via Taiwan was received on 11940 kHz on August 10th from 1406 to the sign-off at 1430 UTC in Burmese. SIO rating was 554. Talk program and Burmese music were broadcast. ID was given at 1429. Radio Free Asia via Taipan was heard on 9970 kHz on August 5th from the sign-on at 1700 to 1830 UTC. SIO rating was 454, then down to 353. The scheduled Mandarin service was aired, but no announcement was made. Only traditional Chinese music was played. RTM YFM from Malaysia was heard on 11665 kHz on August 10th from 1340 to the sign-off at 1402 UTC in Malay. Its IO rating was 343. Koran, talk program, and music were broadcast. Myanmar radio was received on 9730 kHz on July 27th. From 1515 to 1557 UTC. SIO rating was 353, then down to 332. Local pop music, chanting Buddhist sutra, and a talk program by a female announcer in Burmese were on the air. ID in English was given at 1530, followed by news. The program was covered by China Radio International at 1557. BBC via Oman was heard on 12065 kHz on August 4th, from the sign-on at 1200 to the sign-off at 1300 UTC in English. SIO rating was 454. World News was broadcast, followed by Newsroom at 1206, News at 1230, and the Assignment at 1232. Radio Romania International was heard on 15340 kHz on August 10th from 1435 to the sign-off at 1458 UTC in Romanian. SIO rating was 453. Talk program and Romanian songs were aired. ID was given at 1442. Radio Tamazuji via Santa Maria di Galeria, Vatican, was heard on 15550 kHz on July 31st from the sign-on at 1459 to 1557 UTC in Arabic. SIO rating was 333. The broadcast of Radio Tamazushi switched to Radio Dobanga at 1557. Finally, Japan Shortwave Web Club issued QSO cards for the correct reports on our segment of WaveScan program. We are issuing QSO card by email to the report sent by email. Our address for your email report is JSWCQSL at I repeat JSWCQSL at We continue to issue the printed QSO card by the same system as before. Your report should be addressed to JSWC PO box forty four Kamakura, which is K-A-M-A-K-U-R-A, postal Code 248-8691, JAPAN. One ILC or two U.S. dollars for return postage will be appreciated. For this edition of DX Report, we'd like to thank Mr. Yoshiaki Hayashi, Mr. Iwao Nagatani, Mr. Hirokazu Mitsumoto, Mr. Kodo Sujaku, Mr. Chiaki Shimada, and Mr. Shunosuke Okada for sharing the information with us. Thank you for listening, and please join us for our next edition of DX Report of Japan Shorthand Club. I'm Yukiko Tsuji in Tokyo.
0: Thank you, Yukiko. Next week on WaveScan, we'll have the early radio scene in Seattle on the West Coast, our first report from the HSCC conference in Sofia, Bulgaria, and our Philippine DX Report. (laughs) Thanks for listening to WaveScan, the international DX program from Adventist World Radio. Researched and written in Indiana by Adrienne Peterson. Several QSL cards are available for this program. Send your AWR and KSDA reception reports for WaveScan to the AWR address in Bangkok, Thailand, and also to the station your radio is tuned to. WRMI, or WWCR, or KVOH, or Voice of Hope Africa, or to IRRS Italy, or to the AWR relay stations that carry wave scan. Remember, too, you can send a reception report to the DX reporters when their segment is on the air. Here in the program, they will also verify with their own colorful QSL card. Return postage and an address label are always appreciated. The email address for AWRQSL's is qsl at awr dot o-r-g. The postal address for AWRQSL cards is Adventist World Radio, P.O. Box 234, Prakanong, that's P-R-A-K-A-N-O-N-G, Bangkok 10110, Thailand. Again, Adventist World Radio, P.O. Box 234, Prakanong, Bangkok, 10110, Thailand. And the email address for other correspondence to WaveScan, not Reception Reports, is wavescan at awr.org. I'm Jeff White at WRMI Shortwave in Okeechobee, Florida, USA. Till next week, good listening, everyone. So